If you got a Bible, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Um, I guess I told people I was going to talk about politics and no one decided to come hear that. Um, you know, what could go wrong? A preacher talking about politics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, trigger warning. I guess if you're easily offended, this may may not be um, offensive or not. I'm going to try to not to leak my opinions in here, but I uh, just want to welcome you again to Refuge Point. Um, it's an honor that you are here. Also, welcome those who are watching uh, with us online. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in uh, this morning. Um, Matthew chapter 22 is going to kind of lead us into a conversation um, and really just some interesting things that are taking place in this specific uh, passage. And then uh, what I want to do is kind of just speak directly from my heart, if I can, maybe to kind of help us in this political, um, politically hostile world that we find ourselves in. It seems like every four years, you always hear the same stuff they say, this is the most important election, or uh, this is um, the most hostile that anyone has ever been. And it just seems like, are they going to say that again in four years? Of course they are, because for some reason it will be more hostile. For some re reason it will be the most important uh, election. And so we always find ourselves in this weird tension as Christians uh, because we, we look at the options and we, we ask God like, uh, oh, this is it, God. Okay, thank you. So we kind of find ourselves in that kind of tension. Uh, if you are like me, maybe you know exactly uh, where you stand on things, but there are some things I just, I, I scratch my head and I wonder, God, is this really <laughs> it, you know, but anyway, uh, I said I wouldn't leak, but I just did. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 15, and uh, they're, they're trying to trick Jesus, set this scene up if I can, they're trying to ask Jesus this question about whether they pay their taxes, or, or who's more important, is it Caesar, or is it God, and they're just really trying to, these religious leaders are trying to just trip Jesus up, trying him to go to one way or the extreme of the other way. Basically, in our modern times, they have Jesus, and they're asking him, are you a Republican or a Democrat, Jesus? And so this is kind of the tension that's being built here, just so we can understand and get our minds around that. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to pick it up at verse 15. I am going to do as best as I can to stick with my notes this morning. Then the Pharisees went... And plotted how to entangle him in his words. It's always been a favorite verse of mine, as if they think they're going to entangle Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him. I guess they were cowards and didn't want to go to him, along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. Jesus is giving an illustrative sermon. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? 
they said, Caesar's. They said to them, therefore, render, it's going to be a key verse or word, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Matthew's translation, their jaws dropped and they started tweeting about him. Let's pray, because I need God's help this morning. I thank you, God, that you have brought everyone here, um, despite where we fall politically, despite where we fall on social issues, economic issues. We're here together as a family, and the thing that unites us, oh God, I thank you, is the blood of Jesus Christ that atoned for our sins. The thing that unites us is the kingdom of heaven that we long and yearn for. That's the thing that unites us. So God, may we keep first things first, and that's you, God. You are the essential. You are king, and every ruler and government power and authority bows to you, whether as the king or one day will be the judge. So God, I thank you, Lord, that some of us have been looking for a word. Your word just spoke to us audibly, and I thank you for that. Sanctify us in the truth of your word, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this polarizing topic this morning, I've probably preached a total of two times in my life on the subject of politics and the role of government or the Christian's response to government in politics, and I would think that I have enough level of respect with you guys um, to know that I'm not doing this because I'm trying to push an agenda. I'm not doing this because I'm going to tell you who to vote for, because I will not do that. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm not doing this for any of those reasons other than the fact that this is in the Bible, and it deserves our attention, especially and the climate that we find ourselves in. In fact, I've never even preached a sermon on politics or government prior to an election, but I feel like this curtain that has been removed in 2020 demands a response from the church and how we are to respond to politics and government. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you guys know real quick, my background in politics. I grew up in a conservative home. Mom and dad were conservative. That was ingrained inside of me. Outside of high school, I began to research and began to think things through a different lens, so to speak. And I began very critical. I began to get very critical of both political establishments that are in our country. In fact, around this time, it was my mid-20s, is when, um, if you were to ask me if I were a Republican, I probably would have said, oh no, where are the WMDs, brah? If you were to ask me if I were a Democrat, I would say, for what, I'm gonna kill babies? So everything was like a political, like in your face type thing. And then something happened to me, maybe therapy or whatever, maybe Miranda told me to chill out. It's not that I got apathetic towards those things. It's just that I got a little bit more silent. 
and a little bit more hesitant to speak out on those things because I found myself when I would speak out against anything that was happening in a conservative movement or a liberal movement, I found both sides could not, for the life of them, believe that I had a separate opinion of them. Oh no, you've got a different opinion than me. You're wrong, you're stupid. Enforce all of the name callings that come with it. And so I just kind of took it upon myself to back off of those things, continue to uh, mentally stay involved, continue to have the concerns that I need to have. But my move and my concerns moved more towards the heart and soul of men and women instead of political and social and economic issues. Began to hate those both parties and and then just kind of fell silent. I love the United States. There's, I've been to several countries. There's no other country like the one in which you and I have the, the, the privilege to live in. But in the end, let me let, me let you get to the point here. I, I want you to, let, to understand my heart very carefully. I do not, and I do not foresee myself ever to place my hope in a political system, in a government, in, in a country, in, in a president, past, present, future, because the reality of it is, is those entities, those people, did not and will not ever be able to die for my freedom, <laughs> eternal freedom. They can't do that. So let's breathe a second, if we can, from all the hostility you think is going on, those people, and I chose not to use euphemisms this morning or name-calling, but those people who are in power cannot save you and cannot lead you into eternal freedom. Let's, let's look at the reality of it is, all right? Rome, at best, lasted 1,500 years. The United States this year celebrated 244 years. And as you can see, there are not cracks, but there are craters in our foundation. And the reality of it is, is God is king. He rules and reigns. I place my hope in him. And so it's, it's interesting that we are going to find ourselves in this text where they're trying to trip up Jesus. And as we approach this topic, it feels like we want to ask Jesus that same question. Jesus, just tell me. What do we do? Is it blue, red, purple? Is it Caesar? Is it God? And we find ourselves just like the early church and the Christians, where it's neither. Because neither of those systems really fit into a biblical idea of political governance. Because if you want to be, if we want to be truthful about it, the kingdom of God is a theocracy. You don't vote for the king. How foolish that thinking is. Well, I voted for Jesus this morning. No, listen. He votes for you. Amen. That's good. 
he will get your attention. You don't vote him into... So, so the political ideas of a democracy do not exist in the kingdom of God because there is one rule, one king, one kingdom. He rules over all things. There isn't one political party against this political party trying to make and mold the king to do what they want him to do. No, it's King Jesus. He do what he want to do, boo. Amen. And you don't get no say in that. Amen. So if you feel like there's been tension in the past, it's, 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 it's obvious, it's true. Because we do find ourselves living in that tension to where there is no theocracy here. So what do we do? Verse 17, he says, Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It doesn't seem like much of a question. Like, hey, should I pay my taxes? Or, yeah, no, huh? Yeah, sure, maybe moving on. But that's not simple. It's not that simple. This is a loaded question for them. A loaded question for Jesus. This is a touchy, divisive, political subject and how Jesus answers is fraught with many implications. It is like us asking each other, who'd you vote for in 2016? Or any other kind of political question that would suddenly turn a peaceful Thanksgiving dinner into World War III. <laughs> Roman occupation is here in this context and during this time, you had a couple of Jewish political powers and groups, each with their own interpretation of the Roman rule and superpower. You had the Pharisees, and then you had the Sadducees. Pharisees hated, we might liken them to theological conservatives. They hated the Roman rule. They believed that the Roman rule was actually an act of judgment of God upon the people of God. And then you had the Sadducees, who were likely cultural, progressive theologians likened of our day today. They believed that Roman, uh, they didn't view the Roman government as some act of judgment. They made peace with the Roman oppressors. And they didn't, if you, if you went to, um, Sunday school, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You remember this cheesy saying, that's what made them sad, you see. Thank you for the one laugh, Philip. I appreciate that. Nobody else got that. You'll get it later. Or it was just that lame of a joke. Okay. So, which of these Jewish political parties do you align yourself with? Oh, teacher, is what they are asking. And Jesus says, if Jesus says in front of all of his followers... Yes, of course, lawful, pay your taxes. Then Jesus identifies himself with one party. Basically aligns himself with the Roman rule, the man. And he endorses their oppressive rule. But if Jesus aligns himself with the other, no, it is not lawful, then he has just labeled himself as an anarchist. And now the Roman rule will come and crush him and press him out. So you have these two issues at hand. So imagine this crowd of people surrounding Jesus. 
pressuring him. Are you Republican or are you Democrat, Jesus? Are you a Sadducee? Are you for the Roman Empire or not, Jesus? Whose group do you most identify with, Jesus? Are you left or are you right? And if you're Jesus, is a Republican or is a Democrat or is a conservative or a liberal, then you, my friend, do not have the right Jesus. You got the wrong guy. Now watch how Jesus responds because Jesus is about to outflank them in his response to them. Jesus, aware of their malice, verse 18. Why put me to the test, you hypocrite? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him this coin. Both inscriptions of this coin for the Jews were deeply offensive. And Jesus said to them, pay attention to this, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God things that are God's. And when they heard this, they marveled. He doesn't give them this straight yes or no answer as Jesus really never does. Instead, he says, render what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. And at first glance, it seems like Jesus is just this carefree, yeah, just pay your taxes, whatever. Who cares? But there's a wordplay happening into this Note the original question, verse 17, is it lawful to pay Caesar? Jesus doesn't answer by saying, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, pay to God what is God's. He doesn't say pay to Caesar what is Caesar's or pay to God what is God's. What does he say? He says render. He uses the verb render what is Caesar's to Caesar. So this word render, which can be translated as giving your rightful due and honor, giving your rightful due and honor. So you give what is Caesar's, whatever that is, and then you give God all of his. So here's what's really happening, because what does Caesar demand? It's may be better explained by what was Caesar demanding from the people. Everything. Caesar was demanding them to worship. He viewed himself as some god. And so right here, Jesus is really outflanking them. He says, okay, yes, give, render to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Pay your taxes. But then render to God what is God's. What does Caesar not deserve? He does not deserve your worship. He does not deserve your allegiance. Who deserves that? God deserves that. God demands our full worship. God demands our full allegiance. And if Caesar demands it, you don't give it to him. You do not bow your knee to Caesar. You bow your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this, my friends, is what drives me crazy today. How we give so much praise to a celebrity or to some political leader as if they're the savior of our country. Good God, help us. They're buffoons. They aren't your God. 
They put their underwear on the same way you do. Maybe if you wear it, I don't know, I'm not judging. They put on their pants like you do. They eat, they sleep, and I don't mean to sound crass, but they also take a poop too. They're people, they will not save you. And here's what bothers me as Christians. We try to put them in some elevated platform, and the moment me, you, someone else likes to call them out or something, good Lord, we turn into barbarians. How dare you call out Trump? How dare you call out former President Obama? How dare you? Good Lord, sorry who peed in your grits, man. Calm down. They don't save you. So it isn't in our time that they are demanding our worship. We're giving it to them. And they're not even asking for it. (laughs) They're just like, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Oh, holy Trump. Oh, holy Obama. Oh, holy Biden, we worship thou. Thou Thouest, oh, holy lords. Save us from the rule of the tyranny of Trump. It's madness how the church has pledged her allegiance to a person is crazy. Jesus had a solution. He had a solution to it. He didn't come with power. He didn't come with force. He didn't come to create some social movement. He did not come to bring political and economic change to, to these people who are in far, were in far greater um, unrest, uh, far greater um, economic oppression and government oppression than we've ever been in. So he didn't come waving the flags of social justice or, or whatever you want to, economic justice or this justice or that or whatever. His, his, his motive, his, his, his way was to address the heart and the soul of men and women. And his solution to it was not to create a third party, but to create another, let's call it an institution. He came to create the church. Not a political party, but the church who would then be the beacon of hope to those who were politically oppressed, to those who were poor, to those who were in the marginalizations of society. That's why Jesus came. What is our priority? How are we to live then in light of this man preaching the saving gospel that saves us into an eternal kingdom, not just into this, uh, this moment or this monetary or this moment. Um, the word will come out in just a minute, but not just for this temporal, there's a good word, temporal place. He came to give us the salvation through the eternal kingdom of God. Amen. That is not for us to become passive or to become 
apathetic. In fact, I would say if you are apathetic about all of this, you are part of the problem. We look at the Bible and it gives us plenty of things that we are to care about. And again, we find ourselves in this tension, though, where neither party really fits our standard. So what do we do? That's a question that they're asking Jesus. What what do we do? If I could just be Matthew for a second and just share my heart, a little bit outside of this text, but it still has major implications of what Jesus is addressing here. If you take notes, if you don't, it doesn't offend me either. Here's the first thing as Christians that we can do. Is that we can remember and know that we are Christians first and Americans second. Amen. You are part of the kingdom of God. You are citizens of the kingdom of God first. Amen. And you're an American second. And I think this could help us live and think and vote and public sphere and recognize this tension that as followers of Jesus Christ we live in two worlds two worlds that are at complete odds one which is wrought with brokenness and one which is filled with eternal hope and peace and to know this that we are Christians first Americans second it does quite cause this this tension because it is very easy for us to get involved in this idolatrous thinking when it comes to politics right now, to posit all of our energy into one political movement as though the weight of the world rests on your shoulders, that as if your vote, your agenda, is what is keeping these things and holding the balance of the universe. As if your vote is salvific in nature. The idea of politics, what it should do is give us a reminder that Jesus Christ is king. His rule is eternal. And so we find ourselves in this tension, and some leans to the right, some lean to the left. See how everyone gets really intense. And it's troubling. It causes a stir in our minds. What do we do? First thing you do is you remember that you're a Christian first, and you're an American second. Here's the other thing that you can do. That we trust a perfect God, not an imperfect political system. Trust a perfect God and not the imperfect political systems. When Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, he's saying that though we live in this tension, but we're still called, in some regard, to engage in the the public sphere. So if you feel compelled to vote, and I hope you do, come November, we want to prayerfully weigh out our decisions before the Lord and recognize that every candidate has their moral flaws. (laughs) 
a lot of moral flaws. I thought y'all'd say amen right there, but that's okay. Everyone will have strengths, they'll have weaknesses, and at the same time, there will never be a candidate where all Christians go, oh, okay, yeah, him. There'll never be. Bible doesn't tell us <laughs> vote Republican. Bible doesn't tell you vote Democrat. Gives you a set of moral things that we are to follow, but that doesn't mean that you won't look back one day and you'll have regrets on who you voted for. And that's okay. You may vote for the wrong guy. Can I help you this morning? That will not determine whether or not you get into heaven. We place how we vote in the realm of salvific in nature. And that is idolatry. You've placed politics as an idol, and you need to repent. There's a third thing. Let Jesus' voice be louder than the voices of political pundits. Amen. Let me say that one more time for those in the back. They can hear me. Let Jesus' voice be louder than any political pundit. Amen. The role and the, I, I would suggest... Whatever choice of poison you listen to, rather that be MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, whatever that poison is. They have one agenda, and that is to try to recreate the commission of Jesus Christ. They're trying to also make disciples. They try to learn your behavior they try to, they have these algorithms on social media. What do you like? What do you repost? What do you regram? What do you share? And they're learning all of these things about you so that they can make you more into the image that they are trying to create. They're trying to make you into this image of let's make you more left-leaning. Let's make you more right-leaning. They're trying to, in turn, make you a disciple of whatever political garbage they're trying to force down your throat. The reality of it is, they don't have to force it down our throat. We allow them to. Feed me, O oh holy CNN. Feed me, O oh Fox News. Give me what I need to think. Give me what I need to uh, have in my mind. Oh, please, tell me how to think. And Jesus and his word is secondary Let's scroll through our news feed real quick. Real quick turns into hours. Hours turns into some dude that you don't agree with, so I'm going to make it my life's goal to argue with him, as I have found. Let me scroll. Let me, let me, let me brainwash myself into all of these news outlets and let them tell me how to think. And let me just read one verse of Scripture and be done for the day. Jesus' voice is not loud in your voice, in your life. And if the political pundit's voice is the loudest, you will fall. You will fall away. Because what you have done is you've made your agenda your Savior. And Jesus will have none of that.
like what Matthew says in Matthew earlier in this book he says Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 I think it gives us some good practical advice be wise as serpents and innocent harmless as doves I'm not telling you not to engage I think it would be dumb not to engage but I'm telling you to be civil and wise innocent as you engage these things it's okay to listen to the news it's okay to share it's okay to like but don't let that be the end game it's okay to engage in a healthy way which leads me to my next point you need to learn how to listen is that okay well I said it anyway so I guess it's okay it's so easy in our cultural climate to villainize those whom we do not agree with. I, I get it. I was villainized recently. <laughs> you had might as well called me the Antichrist for what I posted. And the reality of it is, is that everyone missed the whole picture of the sexual exploitation of children, but that's next week. We find it easy that if you don't hold my ideas, if you, you're not left, or if you're not right, or if you're not moderate, then you're the problem, you're the enemy. It's even said from our political leaders that those who aren't with us, they're the enemy. We've forgotten the lost art of learning how to listen. James 1.19, he says, tells us, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Put in today's modern vocabulary, be slow to retweet, <laughs> slow to like, slow to repost and share, and quick to ask questions privately. I think that's probably one of the best ways to engage to ask questions. How did you come to this conclusion? I'll recommend a book later that can help you if you are that guy that loves engaging in politics. So rather than blasting off, taking your political social war and your sword in your hand, I'm going to change their mind by arguing. What if you just listened? How did you come to this conclusion? How did you come to this position but God forbid we do anything that's civil these days God has lovingly emphasized by taking on flesh reconciling us to himself he did that for us we don't get to know who gets saved we don't get to know that. We do get to participate in the proclamation of the gospel. So villainizing these people, whom could be one day a family member in the house of God, doesn't really do anything for us at all. We are to mirror Jesus in his grace and never lose sight of that. Amen. Never lose sight of how compassionate Jesus was with the people whom he was around. And never lose sight of the greatest command of all. 
our love for God and our love for our neighbor. And Jesus would say in his parable to the Samaritan, of the Samaritan uh, helping the dude that had been beat down, broken on the side of the road. They ask him, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, basically, everyone around you is your neighbor. Never lose sight of that. So your neighbor, who may be a Democrat or Republican, they're your neighbor. And you are called to love that person. And you and I may never agree on every single topic. That's okay. But the moment you make those salvific in nature, you have fallen down a trail, my friend, that's hard to get out of. The role of politics is not meant for them to save us. It never will be, and it never can be, because there's already been the fulfillment of that role, and that was through Jesus Christ. My hope is that we pledge, this may be offensive, I don't care, that we pledge our allegiance to Christ and only Christ. He is our eternal hope. He died for us. And so we place our hope into Him. I don't think we're in a time now, well, I may be wrong, where the government is trying to make us worship them. Now, there may be some that are getting a little fat-headed, demanding things of the church. There may be some that have a little sense of, bro, you're acting like Caesar, calm down. But we're not really in that climate yet. So now what do we do? We render what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. What does that mean? You worship God alone. You bow to God alone. I will never, ever bow to Trump. I will never bow to whomever is in office come January. I will not bow before them. And if you do, my friend, you need to repent. We bow as a church to Christ because he is our king. He is our God. And lastly, the last thing that I will say. I know I'm out of time, is that we ought to pray. Wow. Who would have thought? You mean we pray? Jeez. That's deep, thrower. What's happened to us as a church where we're not praying about these things? We're not praying about any of this. We're just, again, listening to the political pundits instead of listening to the voice of God and asking him, God, would you peel back the layers of our heart, expose to us who we are worshiping? And we ask him, God, help us to engage in our politics. We ask God's help, help us to engage in economic issues and societal issues Help us to engage in that. Help us to be tender and gentle in our approach. We ask God, God, put godly men and women in government. 
It's okay to ask for these things. Why don't we pray about this? I don't know who to vote for. I can tell you who we won't vote for, and that's Jesus. The rest, you've got to figure it out on yourself, because I ain't telling you. Let's put our words in action, and let's go before God right now, and let's pray to him.